Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with hosts Amy Babinchek, James Kernan, and Carl Polachek. Produced by Kernan Consulting and for the international MSP community, we are dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Hey there, this is James Kernan with Kernan Consulting, and I'm here to talk a little bit about the Mastermind Peer Groups. So with the Mastermind Peer Groups, you get a powerful combination of customized coaching, accountability, and weekly synergy sessions with like-minded professionals from all around North America. These peer groups are really focused on sales, marketing, and growth. It's all about results. So I am your personal group facilitator, and you'll experience weekly accountability meetings, monthly trainings, and then quarterly face-to-face meetings where we all get together on a quarterly basis in fun cities all around America. So be prepared to take your business to new heights and see if you've got what it takes to be one of the Mastermind Peer Group members. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the SMB Community Podcast. This is James Kernan with Kernan Consulting. Fired up, ready to go today. And I've got my good friend, Amy Babinchek. Hey, Amy. Welcome. Hey, James. Welcome back from your cruise. I know you were on a cruise last week. Did you have a great time? I I had a great time. I had a great time. So uh, uh, I, words can't even, you know, explain the trip. Great trip out there in the, the Caribbean where the, uh, the waters are that, you know, crystal blue and you're just kind of out of reality for a while and then uh, now back to reality. But good, good time. Good to be back. And uh, good weather here in the Midwest, so I'm glad I'm back now. Nah, it's good as long as you don't like snow, which, you know, we've had a, basically a snowless winter here in Michigan, and it's really kind of a bummer. For yeah. me, it either needs to be 25 and snowy or 80 and sunny, and all this in-between stuff is just like, yeah. uh, there's just not as much fun to go out and do stuff in, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this makes me this makes me ready for spring, even though it's only February. <laughs> it's feeling, yeah, it's feeling like an early uh, feels like an early spring to me. So uh, I'll uh, and then some giant freak snowstorm will come through next month. But uh, yeah, so, yeah. I, I know you know people tell us not to talk about the weather on this podcast, but we're from the Midwest. We can't help ourselves. It's part of our charm. <laughs> <right>? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So awesome. So, hey, we, we've got some cool things to talk about today, some uh, great topics in the news. We're going to have some fun with that. And then uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the MSP question of the week. So thanks for submitting your questions. We'd love to hear from you. If any of you've got uh, a, a dilemma that you're in, a challenge, or even an opportunity that you want to learn more about or discuss with us, uh, drop us a note. Just email me at james at kernanconsulting.com or visit the smbcommunitypodcast.com link, the website, and you can submit your question there. But Amy, the question that came in was, how can small MSPs compete with larger MSPs in the in the same market? You know, that's a, that's a common common thing that we see out there. You know, in my one of my peer groups, we have them organized. One of them is is all small businesses, six people or fewer, and I even run another one for solo people and you know if in in my mind being small is not a problem Mm -hmm. 
right? It's yes, your business is going to be different than a firm that's very large, but that doesn't mean it's a problem. And I don't think most of the time, I don't think that it actually prevents you from landing a new clients, mm -hmm. right? There's just ways, ways that you can approach it, still bring a lot of value to your, your prospects and your clients. Um, and they'll be fine with the fact that, that you're small. What they want to really know is that, um, is that you're bringing something to their business, right? You're bringing, you're bringing your talents, you're bringing your expertise, you're bringing your reliability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those, that's, that's what they want to, to know from you. And, um, you know, if you're small and you don't have somebody in house who does every single thing that a customer could ever possibly want, you have choices. You can either say, you know, I'm sorry, that's something that, that we don't, we don't do, or you can partner up, which is the better choice. I think, um, yeah. partner up with, um, with businesses that specialize in doing that thing. Yeah. Right. You don't necessarily have to look just to other MSPs, but, you know, if they want to do some um, Power BI or they want to do re obtain a, a specialized uh, security certification for their industry. Right. Maybe the business needs to, you know, they're going to go after some federal federal uh, contracts and they need to get FedRAMP certified. Right. So. There are businesses out there that specialize in those things that you can you can partner with, and that's a that's a value add, and you can bring that to your clients as a small firm just as easily as a firm that's that's larger can do. Yep, absolutely. That's an excellent point. Um, you know, large entity, large government prime contractors are looking for local small businesses because it's a requirement of doing business with the government that they partner. Uh, with smaller firms or disabled veterans or uh, minority firms or women-owned firms. So there's all sorts of uh, programs like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, everybody starts off small, right? And you want to grow. And I think that's one of the big reasons today, Amy, that, that there's really power in community. There's power in these peer groups. Uh, our, our peer groups, I had a, a peer group member prospect coming in I remember sitting down and interviewed them and uh, I said, well, tell me about your company. It was two, two people, you know, it was a husband, wife team. They had a, an outsourced tech part-time. So really there's two and a half people. That was it. And I just was asking a question. I said, okay, if I'm a, a thousand person business in our local community, uh, what, why would I want to do business with you? What do you bring to the table that's different or unique? I was just having a conversation, you know, and it, it looked like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sh her response was just kind of silence. And then she looked at me like a deer in the headlights and I wasn't trying to do that. I was just trying to be honest and mm -hmm. kind of put her on the spot a little bit, but challenge her a little bit and go, Hey, look, instead of saying that you're two and a half people in a small city in the Midwest, why don't you say that you've got, you know, three people uh, in your corporate office, but you're part of a high performance network where you've got access to over 50 other member companies and thousands of other resources in all 50 states that you could support really any business of any size in, in any city in the United States if you want to. So that 
that there's power in, in community. And uh, I think times have really changed over the past 10, 20 years in our industry where you, you need to partner like that, you know, to, to partner up and be able to say yes to the opportunity instead of, instead of no. But, yeah. I don't, I don't think you should be afraid of being small. If you look at, um, if you look at, I, I consider this really to be a consulting business, right? You can you can do a simple transactional business. We close tickets fast, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you can also be a consulting business. And if you look around all the types of consulting that they are, there are in the world, uh, most of those are very small. Mm -hmm. And the thing that they're they're selling is their expertise and but also their personal service. Yeah. Right. And that's that's something that you can bring as a small firm that becomes increasingly hard for large firms to do. Yeah. So that you can play play to that advantage as well. Yeah, and I and I agree with with what you're saying and 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 listening to your response, what's coming to me as well is as part of our service and part of our uniqueness, we're all resourceful, right? We all know lots of people. We all know lots of things. And the more resourceful we are in our ability to articulate that to our prospects and to our customers, I think are really going to help position us to win by talking about our resourcefulness, you know, of all the access. Well, you know, we've, we've got some trained Microsoft people so we can call into the level two queue or level three queue instead of, you know, a, a non-certified technician calling in to the open queue and, it, it takes, you know, five times longer to get that answer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And I would say, you know, um, don't say no right away. Right. So if a client asks you for something that um, you don't have the, the expertise to do, or you don't have the right people on staff to do my, my instruction to my techs is if they were ever asked something that they didn't, didn't think that wasn't part of our core offering of what, you know, and they're, of what we normally do. And the tech's going to think of a lot of things in the context of what their job is. Yep. So my instruction to them was you never say no, right? You always, you always say yes. And you're going to, um, right. You're going to, you're going to bring that up to, to management and let them know to talk about it because you're not the person to deliver that, but yep, they'll be able to help you with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so occasionally, we very rarely we did have to say no, but you know my thought was the answer was always yes. It doesn't mean we're going to necessarily do it ourselves, but we're going to help the client get that thing done for them, because yeah. that that was what I really saw as our our job, right? If it was a technology thing, we wanted to have our hands on all the technology pieces for that for that business. Yeah, no, that's well said. Yeah, I think back of when I was running smaller companies. Uh, you know, there's multiple examples I could give, but the couple real quick ones, my philosophy was as the owner of the company to my entire team was quote it and it will come, you know, quote it and it will come. And, and the, the more technical people were like, no, you got to figure out how to do every single little thing before mm -hmm. I can quote it and, and have confidence we can deliver it. I don't know, maybe I'm just wired a little differently or, and, and, you know, a paint chips. In the <laughs> 
I, I just that's all. Out. That's also a salesperson right. bias, though. Yes. And yes. us, yeah. us over on the engineering department would sometimes get frustrated with 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 engine with the sales team, but um, right. but I hear you. Right. I don't limit yourself to what you already know. Always be stretching. Right. right. Always be stretching. And and back to my point of being resourceful. Uh, I had a salesperson come to me and it was like, hey, we've got a $2 million product transaction that's international. One of our big clients in San Diego wanted to, it was an international opportunity for a, really a bunch of uh, high-end hardware. So we, uh, you know, how do you finance something like that? So I ended up uh, working out a deal with Tech Data and we did PO financing for the client and then floated, you know, $2 million on their paper, not our paper, but it and it had my name on it, so it looked like it was all through our company. We just financed it through Tech Data, and we were able to deliver it internationally. And there's there's no way, uh, you know, a company our size at that time. I think we were maybe you know six, seven people, something like that, could finance something like that. And 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 right around that same time frame, we um, we got a an RFP that came in the mail. You know, and how many how many MSP business owners pick up a you know, an, an RFP, and then they just round file it. You know, you toss it in the garbage. Well, this was for the the San Diego Padres baseball stadium, the new Petco ballpark going in in downtown San Diego. So that caught my eye, and I read through the RFP, and it was like, wow, you know, they want a a, a cabling contractor. They the the opportunity was for all the network infrastructure, and then also all the cabling that would go into the stadium and. I was a little tech company in San Diego. We had a little tiny 1500 square foot office. And I think I had eight people at the time working out of that office, including me. And we, uh, we ended up partnering with a large cabling contractor in Southern California, and they had a really strong reputation and we handled the network part and they did the cabling part and we partnered together. We were the face of the opportunity, but we won the deal. And um, it was uh, about a $1.5 million deal. Um, it was all Cisco network infrastructure. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cisco really wouldn't even give us the time of day because they didn't think we would win it. So um, anyway, you know, don't be afraid to partner up and uh, and figure out a way to be more resourceful for those opportunities and, and win them. You know, there's a lot of success stories out there. There's also a, a really good article on MSP Today dot com that uh, MSPs must focus on their strengths and not be afraid to partner up. So exactly back to what Amy and I were just talking about, I, that caught my eye. I'll drop the link up in the show notes up on the website so you guys can read that article if you're interested. Uh, but it looked like from the MSP Expo a couple weeks back, a, a friend of mine, Charlene Ignacio, was um, interviewed a panel and they were talking about, you know, what does it look like to partner up? Uh, you know, very similar conversation to what Amy and I just had there. Mm -hmm. But obviously, big news. Uh, we were just talking about the big AT&T outage uh, last week. So uh, are you an uh, AT&T customer? I am not. I am a Verizon customer. So. I, I am. So and AT&T has the best coverage in Michigan. So I've been an AT&T customer for, I don't know, God, 30 years. Um, this is the first time that I can actually think of of being out for an entire day like that you know I just woke up in the morning to a to no signal um 
I honestly didn't notice right off the bat because uh, I had Wi-Fi calling enabled on my phone. I just, okay. it's something that I just always have enabled. Um, so, so it didn't, I was really not a, greatly affected because of that. Yeah. Uh, but people that did not have that enabled, you know, and something I didn't realize you had to have that enabled while you still have cellular service, <laughs> do enable that feature because um, oh, you have to, you, you have you to. You can't change it on the fly, huh? Couldn't change it. Well, no, I, and I think it's because when you do it, you have a new E911 agreement to, to sign because being on Wi-Fi calling is going to make it even more difficult for them to identify where you are. Right. Uh, so, so there's, that's the only thing I could think of why it, it, you have to have cellular service to do it, but I suspect that's the reason. Um, and I saw it, did see in the news today that, um, you're going to get a $5, I'm, I'm going to get $5 back from AT&T for, for the outage. And I was like, $5, that's nothing. And then they said, you know, $5 is about the cost of one days of cellular service. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it that way, I guess, you know, it seems, it seems, seems fair. Um, but so that, what? that caught everybody by surprise. You know, I, I saw, kept seeing all the conspiracy theories going around about, you know, this is the this is the great fall of the United States. You know, someone's taken over <laughs> our infrastructure and and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's it's not didn't read that way to me. And I don't you know, it's hard to know from so far away. It didn't read that way to me. Yeah. So I, I said to somebody, it seems more like a resume generating event to me. And <laughs> they had never heard that phrase before. So yeah. it, I don't Listeners, if you have not heard that phrase before, that's when you make a big enough screw up that you need to brush up your resume. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you know, they've been kind of tight-lipped about what it was, but it, they did say it was not a cyber attack. It was an internal internal problem, so. Oh, interesting. I, well, that's good. That's good. I thought it would be disclosed yeah. that it's, you know, two teenagers from Sweden or something you know, <laughs> in your grandma's basement. But no. Uh, I did see um, I did did see one thing though. So if you'll get five dollars credit on your um, on your bill, um, which will which will be great, and that covers um, covers AT and T and uh, a couple other ones who use AT and T's service to deliver theirs, but not Cricket. So Cricket is an AT and T reseller basically right a discounter yeah. um but part of that discount is no no guaranteed sla on service hmm. so cricket users will not be getting any any compensation but everybody else will be so that was that was the big news as i was floating around in uh international waters of the ocean uh the big headlines that popped up on the on the screen were the big AT&T outage for a couple of days. So um, anyway, I'm glad, um, uh, glad things are kind of back to normal. And it's interesting to know, because the workaround they were explaining on the news was just turn on Wi-Fi uh, calling and you should be yeah. okay. So that's an interesting point. Yeah, I've got mine turned on as well. Yeah, I think everybody should just make that part of their standard phone setup. You will find that in the settings of your of your cell phone and definitely recommend it to your clients too, because 
Uh, it can also save you, you know, if you get a little out of range or you enter an area where a tower is down or a tower is overloaded and, you know, if there's any Wi-Fi nearby, it'll it'll pick it up and use it. So yep. there was another interesting um, uh, article out in the news. You know, it's really about the the media industry is really in a state of change. Right. And uh, I remember you uh, had shared some stats with me earlier today, but let's talk about that a little bit about what's what's happening, I guess, with big media and, and why is it trending down? Yeah, I saw a headline that caught my eye that said digital media is hollowing out. You know, digital media was all the all the rage. And what precipitated this headline was um, Vice.com announcing that they will stop uh, publishing. So they're not out of business, but they're they're going to publish within others, other systems rather than doing their their own independent thing. Um, and I loved Vice. Their take on the world was very fresh and interesting. I thought, and so um, it's you know it's kind of kind of a bummer to see that uh, that their early success didn't hold. Um, and the same thing's happening with BuzzFeed. I was never a fan of BuzzFeed, but they were sort of the darling of the new media world for a while. Um, and but these um, these models seem to be sort of sort of dying out, right? They're not able to raise the the revenues in advertising or subscription fees, and so that begs the question: Then where's the market going? Mm -hmm. Right? People do still read the news; they're just consuming it in new ways. And here's here's the thing that uh, that that made James' hair stand on end for a moment. <laughs> Thirty-three percent of adults under thirty get their news from TikTok. Oh. <laughs> that was uh, this is from Pew Research, and they said fifty percent of Americans get their news from social media. Now, I will admit, I get some of my news from social media, but it's yeah. because I follow certain news outlets, and you know. Um, and so sometimes it's easier just to read their social media posts than it is to go to their website and browse through a newspaper or browse through the magazine or browse through the website. Um, but people are doing that with, um, they're doing that with TikTok and Instagram is a big one too. They're really neck and neck for, for where people are getting their news today. Yeah, that, uh, that, that reminds me of my, one of my favorite quotes from Abraham Lincoln that I found on social media. It says, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, I love that. I love that. Love that one too. Yeah. The tick, the TikTok thing does put my hair up on end. It's just, wow, that's crazy to me. Uh, I get the 50% of the news on social media because it's, it's hard not to see, you know, the headlines and then kind of drill down, mm -hmm. uh, on, on those. But, um, Anyway, it's, it's just interesting, and, and I think more and more Americans are just becoming wiser with what they grab their information, um, you know, and then they are subscribing to different things. I know I look at a lot of different resources, and back to my bad joke a moment ago, you know, you can't believe everything that you read out there, so you need to trust but verify and look mm -hmm. at multiple sources, and and I, I try to look at multiple sources where you can get get facts. Yeah, I think it's, it, yeah, I think it's reflecting a general, 
distrust in in institutions, whether government, media, whatever, that seems to be sweeping the country and in some ways sweeping the world. Um, and this is one of those ebb and flow trends, right? We saw a lot of that in the 40s, 50s that people were rejecting the, the institutions of that time. Um, and so, you know, something, something new will be born. But um, the other part of that article that was interesting is people are not looking to TikTok and social media because they want their media to be free. It says they're, they're subscribing, right? So they're paying those individual content creators for their services. Question is, can you trust an individual more than you can trust a larger media institution? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the answer is no, because the institution has uh, a lot of people working with a lot of resources to, you know, to verify and, you know, build a, build a more complete story. Not that they all do, but the good ones do. And so um, I wouldn't, wouldn't throw them out. But uh, I know I do get bombarded with requests to subscribe to journalists on uh, Substack. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people are publishing great stuff on Substack, but man, you can only afford to subscribe to so many, right? Well, right, right. You know, you're going to be limited to subscribing to a small handful of individuals. Um, you know, and that's uh, that that can that can you can create yourself a real echo chamber if you're not careful. Right, right. And then like like anything out in the media, you know, there's so much of it is just drama and negative. For, for me, I, I on purpose, I try to limit what, what I let come into my brain and uh, listen to or watch for sure. Um, you know, that's why I, I like looking at more of the facts and, and less opinions of, of people, you know, so, you know, I, it's it's the United States of America. It's free will. You know, we're we're entitled to our opinions. I just I, I have mine, and uh, I choose not to ram it down everybody's throat. And I think some of the media companies are are, are very biased. So it's not a big surprise to see that trend going the downward downward trend. Well, yeah, we are we we are all entitled to have our opinions. But what you don't have is is the 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 right to expect everybody else to hold your same opinion or to have to to read your opinion or care about right. your opinion. It's true, like, true, true. <laughs> you go ahead and have whatever opinion you want. Just realize it's yours and maybe even yours alone. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so good, good point. So, hey, so what's coming up for Amy? What uh, have you got any travels coming up here in the next month or so? I do not, you know, um, Spring is spring is coming up, and I'm probably thinking about spring because it's because of that warm weather here in February. Um, but uh, springtime means um, getting my garden ready, getting my boats ready, so that it's starting to filter into my brain already. And um, yeah, so that's all I've got going. As far as business stuff, though, now nah, I, I I'm not doing a lot. I don't expect to have a lot of business travel this year, and uh, I don't know why that is. I'm not. Just, just not feeling it. Yeah. Well, I hope that I can make you feel it because I'm dying to get you back out at one of our mastermind events, maybe Denver uh, in uh, the end of September, or we've got Tampa 
or Clearwater Beach, that's going to be in um, in June, the end of June. So. Those, yep, uh, I'll definitely get out to I'll get out to one or more of your events, and uh, I'm going to do another SMB Tech Fest uh, in the fall. So, um, you know, so I'll be around to a few things. I just don't have a super busy business travel schedule this yeah. year. Yep. Yeah, I've got a light. Uh, a light month here in March, the end of March, we've got a mastermind event down in Austin, Texas. That should be a lot of fun on uh, March 28th and 29th. And then on the 27th, I'm actually in Austin. Uh, I'm partnered up with a couple people. We're going to do an M&A workshop, mergers and acquisitions. There's a ton of M&A activity going on, as we've talked about, mm -hmm. and there's more and more interest. So we're going to do a workshop on Wednesday, the 27th. If anybody is interested in attending that, uh, just reach out. Let me know. the The fee was four ninety seven uh, for a four hour workshop, but just contact me directly and say, "Hey, James, I want the free ticket, and I'll get you a free ticket, uh, food included too." Well, so, uh, yeah, can't beat that. If you ever have to put on an event and buy their food, just uh, yeah. just know it's you know those scrambled eggs cost somebody sixty dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're interested <laughs> in having the best coffee in the world, it has to be because it's $150 a gallon. Exactly. So it's, the best, yeah. it's the best cup of coffee you'll ever have. <laughs> well, that, that's a great deal to be able to go to that event for free. And there's so much to know about M&A. So, I mean, if you're thinking about selling your business in the next three or even five years, you should probably just go and start to educate yourself on what that experience is like, going to be like for you. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. There's things you can do now to, to build value in your business or, or prep or, or to be connected to the right people if you're looking at acquiring anything. All right. Well, I think that's it for us today, Amy. Thanks for joining me. A great show again, uh, virtual high fives and uh, go Midwest weather. Go sunshine. I think it's going to be 75 here today. All right. Thanks everybody. We'll catch up with you next time. Bye-bye. See you then.